Join us as we gather round the lamp. An Aston Villa podcast brought to you by underagaslitlamp.com. Hello and welcome to a very special bonus edition of the Gather Round the Lamp podcast with myself, Craig Storrid. Now, for a variety of reasons, uh, we have had a... <laughs> Uh, lots of different and interesting reasons going on with lots of your regular uh, presenters this week. Uh, I am flying solo for this week's podcast, uh, but it's going to be a slightly different format, less less notes and structure as there's no Andy to guide me and hold my hand. So this is going to be basically my stream of consciousness for the next few uh, minutes, talking all things uh, Aston Villa that come to mind during this international break. And of course, previewing the upcoming Wolves Clash, the local derby at the weekend where Aston Villa travelled to Molyneux looking for revenge, I would say, for that terrible, terrible, terrible 3-2 defeat at Villa Park earlier this season, which was the first nail in the coffin in the managerial reign of Dean Smith uh, as he went on to lose the subsequent four games and was then sacked and replaced by Steven Gerrard in the Villa dugout. So, without any further ado, uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the uh, Villa international players. Um, and overall, it's been an absolutely incredible international break for Aston Villa. So many of our players have been doing so many wonderful things for their, for nation, for their national teams. Uh, we'll get into the specific players in a moment. Uh, but I just want to have a kind of perspective check for a second. Um, anyone who's been an Aston Villa fan for more than three or four years will remember those kind of dark, desolate championship days and also the last few years in the Premier League under Paul Lambert, uh, Alex McLeish and also, of course, Remy Gard famously, where Villa was circling the plug hole of relegation for years until we did eventually fall through the Premier League trapdoor. There's me mixing metaphors there, but I do that. And um, we didn't really have too many star international players. Uh, we had uh, Fabian Delph, who was turning out for England before he had his head turned and moved on to Manchester City. A familiar tale for Aston Villa fans over the years. Uh, we also had Ron Vlaar when he was fit, uh, kind of turning out for, for uh, uh, Holland during those years. But we didn't really have the pedigree of player, probably uh, Christian Benteke aside for those last few years in the Premier League and certainly in the Championship years where we had these really standout stellar international performers which we do now which brings us to Matty Cash uh, Matty Cash has been a regular topic of conversation on this podcast for the last several months um, Aston Villa's comfortably Aston Villa's best right back I would say since Luke Young I think uh, Andy says best for the right back since Mark Delaney. And uh, what Matty Cash has done in the last few weeks and, and months has really started to add a goal threat, uh, chipping in with goals and assists for Aston Villa and really taking his name to the next level or his game even to the next level. Now, Matty Cash has had strong strong links with a £40 million move to Atletico Madrid and we spoke about that in some detail in last week's episode. Uh, but first of all, congratulations to Matthew Cash. He has officially qualified 
for the World Cup with Poland. And he will be there at uh, injuries permitting, I assume. He will be there starting for Poland in the World Cup in, uh, in, in Qatar at the end of this year. Um, so what an incredible journey that is for Matt Cash. We're talking about someone in Matt Cash who went from the championship a few short months ago, essentially. A winger in a, in, in a mid-table championship outfit. He was converted to a fullback, gets his, gets a, 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 I dare say, a dream move to Premier League Aston Villa, becomes a revelation in that right back slot, and then earlier this season, uh, he changes uh, nationality, gets his Polish passport, and he is called up to star for Poland alongside the likes of you know Robert Lewandowski, and he is now from that championship kind of mediocre championship winger. He is now looking at being the starting right back for Poland in the World Cup at the end of this year. What an incredible, incredible journey that is. And, and fair play and full credit to Matty Cash for putting in the work, for putting in the effort, for creating this legacy for himself and for making these, these kind of majestical memories for not only himself but also for the Polish fans. If you haven't seen the kind of clips of the, the celebrations uh, uh, when when Poland secured qualification and Matty Cash involved in all of those, uh, uh, drinking some uh, uh, Polish adult beverages by the looks of it, it's well worth a search on uh, your Twitter machine or on your Google machine to see what is going on. Um, so yeah, kudos to Matthew Cash. Uh, a little bit closer to home, our England internationals also had a, a wonderful week. Uh, both Tyrone Mings and Ollie Watkins not only starting the game against uh, Ivory Coast at Wembley earlier this week, but also both of them getting on a score sheet in a 3-0 victory. Um, again, Ollie Watkins uh, said himself in an interview after the game with the media that his his club form has been inconsistent. We all know that. We've spoken about that on this very podcast. And also we saw that Ollie Watkins has had a different kind of impact, I think it's fair to say, in that England game. Ollie Watkins looked a different kind of player in that England system. When he was reunited with uh, Jack Grealish, when he had uh, Raheem Sterling, when he had Jude Bellingham, he had lots of players, Ollie Watkins, kind of buzzing around him and in and around him where he was given an opportunity to, uh, Ollie Watkins was given an opportunity to link up with these players and work with these players and get some support. And he looked a very different player from the kind of hopeless uh, figure he's cut in some recent games for Aston Villa, where he's being asked to be a kind of, I don't know, like a, an Andy Carroll or someone, some target man who Villa can lump the ball into and he's supposed to bring it down and, and wait for hold up the, hold up the ball and wait for others to join in. Uh, that wasn't the case for England. Uh, we saw players in and around him. We saw players next to him. We saw him get support, and we saw that he wasn't being asked to hold up the ball in that way with his back to goal in a way that he's not necessarily comfortable with, in my estimation. And I think we saw the true Ollie Watkins. We did speak Andy and I last week in in, in the episode about whether or not Ollie Watkins is the best striker for this Steven Gerrard system at Aston Villa and the jury is perhaps still out on that one but what we've seen with this England performance uh, yes admittedly against an Ivory Coast 
side that uh, were down to 10 men at some point in the first half. But even so, we start we started to see when he's played the way that he needs to play, Ollie Watkins, that he we we, we started to, we started to see elements of that player that we saw last year, who was so effective in that Dean Smith uh, system. The same player that scored that wonderful hat trick against uh, against Liverpool in that seven two win, chopping inside on the vastly overrated Joe Gomez and uh, bending one into the top corner, making a, a mug out of Van Dyke and the Liverpool back line. Uh, we saw glimpses of that Ollie Watkins again for, for England, and it's interesting to see whether or not Watkins will um, be moved along uh, in the summer. You can't imagine that there would be too many... Um, there would you, you can't imagine that he would be short of options, Ollie Watkins. I could see lots of clubs being interested in him um, and it was just good to see him really playing well scoring a goal at Wembley starting for England in that iconic England number nine shirt uh, what a wonderful again what a wonderful week for Ollie Watkins and also a shout out to Tyrone Mings another clean sheet uh, something like 14 clean sheets now for England and uh, another goal as well went in bang banged in off his nose um, again, Ivory Coast didn't necessarily ask a, a great many questions of the England backline, uh, but Tyrone Mings was there, uh, steady as ever when called upon, and you would imagine that uh, that uh, Tyrone Mings is basically 100% guaranteed to be going to Qatar as part of that England squad. Um, obviously someone that, that, uh, that Gareth Southgate rates, obviously someone that Gareth Southgate trusts, and Tyrone Mings has done it again for England and uh, not put a foot wrong. Uh, also worth noting that Tyrone Mings kept a couple of those clean sheets in actual competitive football in, in, in the Euros last summer. Um, so it's not like he's been picking up all of these clean sheets in, in friendlies and stuff like that. Uh, Tyrone Mings is obviously Aston Villa captain, an asset for Aston Villa, and now becoming an asset for England as well. Speaking of assets... Our uh, £23 million left-back, Luca Dean, made his triumphant return uh, from injury and started for France and created lots of chances. And that was another thing that blew my mind this week. I mean, Villa had players starting for England. We had players starting for Poland, France. We had players starting for, for Brazil. We had players obviously starting for Scotland and not to mention all the youth team players. Absolutely incredible. So Luca Dean, good to see him back. Good to see that he is still a starter for France. France, I would say, I think probably the best team in, in world football. And so to have Villa starting left back, starting for a team the level of France is 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 really encouraging moving forward. And hopefully, hopefully we can see uh, the best of Luca Dean for the remaining nine games of the season, starting with the upcoming game against Wolves. Lots of speculation again this week uh, around Douglas Luiz. Douglas Luiz did not make the Brazil squad this time out, uh, but his compatriot, Philip Coutinho, did make the Brazil squad, and he started their game, uh, I want to say, against Bolivia in midweek. Again, great to get minutes under Philip Coutinho's belt. It's going to be really important for him who, to, to, to just get the, the reps in, to get the fitness in, and um, hopefully... Uh, he can, Philip Coutinho can sign permanently for Aston Villa sooner than later. I have a personal confession here. I have this week received my Philip Coutinho 23 Aston Villa shirt, uh, which I am proudly wearing. 
I got a large one, um, and the Kappa, the Kappa shirts, um, people tell the truth about these Kappa shirts. They are <laughs> large by name, but not necessarily by nature, but it fits me just about, but I'll have to make sure that I stay off the hot cross buns this Easter. Otherwise, there could be a problem. Uh, speaking of problems, John McGinn made a problem of himself again in the Scotland fixtures, getting a goal and an assist. Uh, John McGinn obviously always seems to bring his absolute peak form for Scotland, and he seems to be their star man each and every time he pulls on the uh, blue and white strip of Scotland. And what we want from John McGinn, as again, as we discussed before on this podcast, we want him to bring that kind of consistency, I think, that he shows for Scotland and bring it to Aston Villa and bring it to the Premier League. Our Argentinian internationals, uh, uh, the two Emmys, Buendia and Martinez, did travel over to Argentina, but uh, couldn't play due to their suspensions, uh, due to that, uh, that uh, debacle in Brazil. Uh, a few months ago, uh, but they did join, both join up with the Argentina team, but they didn't see any match minutes. So good to have them back and fresh at Bodymore Heath, ready for the challenge of the uh, the Wolverhampton Wanderers. Another Aston Villa player on the score sheet was Leon the Biscuit Bailey, who uh, scored his second goal for Jamaica uh, in a uh, 2-1 victory a couple of days ago against Honduras, uh, Leon Bailey uh, scoring a penalty in that one. Again, some good match minutes for Leon Bailey and really important for him to be moving forward and getting the uh, getting the, the, the minutes that he deserves. Uh, speaking of minutes that he deserves, Jacob Ramsey uh, starred, scored a, a spectacular goal for the England under-21s. There's a really nice uh, interview on the official Villa website with Jacob Ramsey and also for all of you uh, people resident in the UK, I believe that Dion Dublin, according to my social media feed, former Villa star Dion Dublin has interviewed Jacob Ramsey for this week's Football Focus show, which is broadcast on the BBC on Saturday morning. At least it used to be when I lived in England, and I'm assuming that it still did. So that was your international roundup. A wonderful uh, uh, international break for the for the Villa for the Villa youth players, the Villa first team players. Some really really good strong performances and. Uh, and, and also the England youth groups. We can't talk about everyone, but uh, a quick shout out to uh, Tim Orogbunum, Kani Chokomenka, and uh, uh, of course, uh, Jacob's younger brother, Aaron, uh, who all started uh, for the England youth sides as well over the international break. Okay, so let's move on and have a quick conversation about Aston Villa manager, Stephen Gerrard. Now, Stephen Gerrard, uh, as we're recording, it is Thursday, March 31st. Stephen Gerrard had a, a very interesting uh, interview published this morning in the Liverpool Echo. So have a look out for that. Obviously, the uh, local journos in Liverpool have gotten a hold of Stephen Gerrard as he returned to Liverpool last weekend to be part of the uh, a charity testimonial game in which I think he won and scored a penalty, donning his famous red... Uh, number eight Liverpool jersey one more time and Gerard makes a really interesting um, admission and something that I wanted to highlight so a quote from this interview because it it it, it talks about something that we've spoken about on this podcast as to Gerard's kind of um, naivety and, and and just his 
inexperienced, basically, in terms of being a, um, a manager. And, and, and Gerard says this uh, in his interview with the Liverpool Echo. He says, I've been around the Premier League a long time as a player and I learned an awful lot, but managing is different. Being on the sidelines is a bit different, so every day is a learning day and I'm just trying to be a sponge. And every time I'm around different managers and playing different styles, formations and tactics, I'm just trying to learn as much as I can. And I actually really love that from Gerard. Um, it's kind of an acknowledgement of, of just the fact. The fact is, although he is one of the most decorated and successful and acclaimed Premier League footballers of all time, Gerard is still a novice manager at this level. And we have spoken on this very show about um, some of the older, wily uh, uh, managers, the likes of Roy Hodgson and Eddie Howe even, that have just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, I think thousands of games under their belt in the case of Hodgson and uh, David Moyes and the like, just really having a slight edge over Gerard, not just because it's just in terms of experience. So the fact that Gerard acknowledges here that he is learning every day, that he is trying to be a sponge and that he is making sure that he can try and learn as much as he can, I think really augurs well. I think that's the kind of humility that you don't always associate with big time world icon footballers. And I don't say that lightly. Gerard is an icon of world football um, in his era one of the greatest midfielders on the planet in his day. Probably one of the greatest midfielders that England has ever produced, for that matter. Certainly, he would be in the conversation uh, uh, of, of the top five or six that, that England has ever produced in, in any era. So the fact that he's such a major icon, the fact that he is such uh, uh, has left such an indelible mark on the Premier League as a player, the fact that he has the humility and the considered critical thought to understand that he is still a novice at this level and he still needs to learn, I think augurs really well for Steven Gerrard. And I think it augurs really well for Aston Villa. And I think that the key thing here is to remember that every game that Gerrard is getting under his belt at Premier League level is a learning experience it is a learning curve and hopefully Aston Villa will reap the benefits of Gerard learning the ropes as a Premier League manager and so he will hopefully get cuter and better and better as time wears on and hopefully by the time he comes back for next season when we start again in in, in August which seems like a long way away at the moment but really isn't as we are here on March 31st by the time he comes back to uh, to start uh, pre-season training in June or July, June or July at Bodymore Heath, he is going to be hopefully a different proposition as a manager than he was when he took over the reins uh, just a few months ago from Dean Smith, which brings us nicely full circle to the beginning of the end of Dean Smith. It was a a game where Aston Villa were at home. We were. 2-0 up and it was um, it was pretty unbelievable Danny Ings had scored a goal and um, I think there was about half an hour left to play Aston Villa are cruising we're, we're two goals up and all of a sudden 
kind of from nowhere. Wolves had had not been terrible in that game, but almost from nowhere, Wolves came back to absolutely smash us 3-2 uh, with a final goal from uh, Ruben Neves uh, bouncing off Matt Target's uh, backside from a, a free kick which was going well wide with the last kick of the game which kind of summed up our luck on that game. Um, so it was also spawned a very interesting uh, commercial where we speculated as to the, uh, as to the <laughs> smoothness of Matt Target's backside during a promo spot. But I digress. Aston Villa were 2-0 up and cruising for a nice Premier League win at home. And we threw it away. I thought it was a blip for Dean Smith. I didn't see the significance of it. I just thought it was just a, one of those freak things that can happen in football. Andy was wiser than I was. Andy saw the the uh, the significance of that result far before I did. And Andy said at the time, I'm paraphrasing, but he said something along the lines of, I, I, this could be the beginning of the end for Dean Smith. And Andy was absolutely right. Um, after, I think, winning away at Old Trafford for the first time in 12 years the week before, within five or six weeks or so Dean Smith was gone and this result against Wolves is the is was the the beginning of the end for Dean Smith a much beloved a much beloved um, a much beloved manager for 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 Aston Villa but results like this can't really be defended um, because Villa were as I say 2-0 up goals from Danny Ings and John McGinn and Villa were actually 2-0 up in this game. I'm just looking over the uh, the match report here. Villa were 2-0 up in this game with 10 minutes to go. Wolves did not score their first goal until the 80th minute. So even then, you're thinking with 10 minutes to go, well, we can probably hold on for a win. No, we could not because on 85 minutes, Connor Cody scores an equaliser. And then you're thinking, well, okay, well, we've, we've blown a two-goal lead, but at least let's not lose. But the aforementioned Ruben Neves scores a free kick with the last kick of the game. I think a naive challenge, I want to say, from, from uh, Jacob Ramsey when, when, when uh, they were going nowhere fast. And that goal goes in uh, and the reign of Dean Smith crumbles from there. So this is a little bit of a revenge mission, I would suggest, because we are playing Wolves very soon. We are away this time, and we are kind of boosted by Wolves having some key absentees. So Wolves have had some, some a mixed bag of results in the last five games. They've had three defeats, and they've won two. And uh, we've also had... Um, We've had two defeats and won three. Those three games we won on the spin. We have lost the last two. Now, the good news for Aston Villa is Ruben Neves will not be available for Wolves and neither will striker Raul Jimenez because uh, they are uh, injured and suspended uh, respectively. Whereas Aston Villa are going to welcome back Luca Dean and um, it's a really interesting opportunity now for Gerard to arrest the slide. Wolves are the team directly ahead of us in the Premier League table. Wolves are that team that we are looking to probably overhaul, not just this season, but also next season. Wolves are one of the teams that we're looking to overhaul to, to climb 
to the, the, the level that we want to be to, which is probably European football, Europa League football. And we do currently sit, um, we currently sit one place behind, um, behind Wolves, but we are quite a few, um, quite a few points behind, actually 10 points behind Wolves with one game in hand. So if we win this game, that, that brings us a little bit closer. And if we win the game in hand as well, then we'll be within four points of Wolves, assuming they don't, uh, 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 we'll be within four points of Wolves and that makes it a little bit more competitive. But at the moment, there's quite a large gap between us uh, and Wolves. So it would be great to go there and get the win. And with those two players uh, unavailable for Wolves, two of their star men unavailable, Adam, Adam, Adama Traore, long a, a scourge of Aston Villa, has also uh, flown the Wolves' nest back to Barcelona, from which uh, Villa bought him in the first place. So I would like to see us go at Wolves. I think Wolves are, are, are very well organised under Bruno Large. They're very well organised as they were under Nuno, for that matter. They don't concede many goals. They do have some talented attacking players, although I think the loss of Neves and Jimenez should give Villa an advantage going into this game. So I would love to see the return of Danny Ings and Ollie Watkins, uh, and I'd like to see Gerard throw away that, that two number 10 uh, stuff which hasn't been working. And I'd like to see Ings, Watkins and Coutinho uh, as the front three. And then we'll see what's what's going on in midfield. You imagine he's going to go same again with Ramsey, McGinn, and Douglas Louise, the back four. It'll be interesting to see if Callum Chambers comes back in or if Ezri Konza keeps his place. Otherwise, you'd imagine Luca Dean comes straight back into the starting lineup. Amy Martinez is, is standard, going to start. Matt Cash, standard, going to start if fit. So I'd like to see Astrid have a real good go against uh, a real good go against Wolves, try and get the win. And I am predicting a 2-1 victory for Aston Villa. A 2-1 victory. And we will begin to haul in Wolves and make sure that we can try and pass them. And maybe, just maybe, finish in 8th place. Okay, that is all I have time for this afternoon. Thank you so much for listening to this very different bonus edition of the Gather Round the Lamp podcast. And we will hopefully join you with a full show next week with all of our beautiful presenters. Thank you for listening and be sure to check, check out uh, uh, underagaslitlamp.com for all your Aston Villa news, reviews, stories and match reports. Thank you. See you next week.